continue our study in the book of Matthew in the great Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter 6, verses 1 through 15. Let's stand together. I'm going to read this passage of Scripture. I think it's important to read the Word of God. And I'll read it because some of you have King James, some of you have New King James, some of you have ESV, and I have the authorized version, the American Bible. Beware of practicing your righteousness before men to be noticed by them. Otherwise, you have no reward with your Father who is in heaven. For when you give to the poor, do not sound the trumpet before you as the hypocrites do in the synagogue and in the streets, so they may be honored by men. Truly, I say to you, they have the reward in full. But when you give to the poor, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, so that your giving will be in secret, and your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. When you pray, you're not to be like the hypocrites. for They love to stand and pray in the synagogues and on the street corners. So they may be seen by men. Truly, I say to you, they have the reward in full. But you, when you pray, go into your inner room, close your door, and pray to your Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. When you are praying, do not use meaningless repetition as the Gentiles do. For they suppose that they will be heard for their many words. So do not be like them, for your heavenly Father knows what you need before you ask him. Pray then in this way, our Father who is in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. For if you forgive others for their transgressions, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others, then your Father will not forgive your transgressions. Father, I pray now that you would take the word of God, that you would plant it in our heart, that it would bring forth fruit. Lord, that I might be spirit-filled as a teacher, that every one of us might be spirit-filled listeners, that the word would have have the effect that you desire in our lives. And Lord, I pray for those who may be here that do not know you as their own personal Savior, that the day that would be the day of their salvation, draw them to yourself. We'll give you all the glory in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Message entitled, The Practice of True Righteousness. He begins in the very first verse, beware. Now, when Jesus says, beware about something, we ought to be warned. We ought to listen to what he's telling us. Beware of practicing your righteousness before men to be noticed by them. Otherwise, you have no reward with your Father who is in heaven. Practice. Practice. To cause to be, to make to be, to result in. It's the actual application or use of an idea, belief, or method as opposed to theories. The exercise of a profession, like a physician or attorney or a believer. The exercise of your profession, living out your faith. Now, you read that first verse, I read it, and it makes me think about what he already said. He said in the chapter previously, let your light shine in such a way that men may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. And here he says, don't practice your good works before men to be noticed by them. So what is he talking about? The difference is between religion and relationship. The Pharisees had religion. 
They kept making up more rules as they went. But those that are part of the kingdom that have come to Jesus by faith have relationship. He uses a new word in this, in this uh, sermon that the Jews were not used to. He said, Father, we have relationship. He's our Father. Oh, they knew about God. They knew about rules and about the law. But Jesus talks about relationship here. And he talks about reward. John Piper has a theme that those that know God best enjoy him most. You know, the idea is that to, to know God is to enjoy him. It's not just rules that we try to fit in. He said it's like honoring a beautiful mountain spring by bringing water from town and pouring on the mountain spring. Wouldn't you do? What do you do? If you enjoy a mountain spring, you just drink deeply from it. Some people say, oh, I just do it for the reward. See, this verse points out more than just the way we pray or the way we give. It kind of underlines and gives attention to why we do anything for the Lord. Like maybe you're serving someplace and somebody didn't appreciate, somebody didn't notice it, and then you get angry and say, well, I'm not doing that anymore. So then the question is, why were you doing it in the first place? Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians, and he said, everything you do, whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. So whether you're teaching Sunday school or you're cleaning up after a banquet we have, that's to God's glory. And if all of a sudden you become discouraged because nobody's noticing your great teaching, and you should be on a bigger level or Maybe nobody's noticing all the time you spend with children in the nursery. Then what are you doing it for? To be noticed by men? The Bible says if that's why you're doing it, that's all the glory you're ever going to get. When I first started preaching, I was real uncomfortable, and people started saying, good message, Pastor. I'm like, well, it's the Word of God. Now, I know I've learned over the years to say, well, thank you. Praise the Lord. Appreciate your encouragement. But I don't want any of the glory for that because this is God's word. I didn't think this up. And I, I know he uses men. Uh, there's a book written about the praying pastor. And the first chapter says, men delight in programs, but God delights to use a man. But when he's using a man, he's the one using them. It's not, it's not the glory to that person, whoever's doing the ministry. And so as a young pastor, it's very uncomfortable. And I still, I don't want people praising me because I feel like I'm a cow in a chute, you know, and you just got to go forward because the Holy Spirit's priding you on. You got one direction. Why would you do anything else but teach the Word of God? But it's not about the glory we get because the Bible says if that's why you're doing it, and sometimes we can be discouraged in ministry. My, my greatest encouragement in the ministry is my wife. And I always ask her, how did I do this morning? She said, well, you did good. And sometimes she'll tell me, you shouldn't have said this. I said, well, that was the Holy Spirit, honey. You don't argue with him. <laughs> but I also tell her, you know, maybe there's going to come a day when I get mature enough. I won't need any encouragement right now. I do. We all need encouragement. And we can get discouraged. We're to be an encouragement of one another. But it gets back to the reason why are we doing what we're doing. It's for reward. 
oh, I'm just doing it for the Lord. Listen, it's not a bad thing to do it for the reward because he promises reward to those that are faithful. Listen, you don't want to have empty hands in that day at that great worship service when the lion, the, the lion of Judah steps out as the lamb, slain, the lamb slain from the foundation of the world and you have nothing in your hands to throw at his feet. The Bible says, crown of many crowns. What are those crowns? Besides the crowns the Father places on him, all the crowns we throw at his feet because we realize it's Christ, not longer I, but Christ that lives through us, right? See, that's what's different from religion. We have relationship. You don't give for yourself. It ought to be a matter of obedience. Now, in the wintertime, we don't have a lot of panhandlers across the street at Walmart. A little rough in Laramie in the winter. And I think they must have an internet uh, website because they kind of pass this information along. But in the summertime, there are people that are passing through and, and you'll see them there. And sometimes you drive by them and you don't think about it. I normally, it's kind of a game for me. I look down and try to figure out which one of their cars because they have a little deal. I saw them changing shifts one time at Safeway. They had a van parked on the sideway back in the side of Safeway and they, they shared a dog and then they each had their own backpack. No, actually, it was the same backpack. They just, next shift, took the backpack, went out and stood getting money. It's an industry. We had 35 years, one honest guy. Came on a Christmas. Mark Carlstrom gave a ride to church. He didn't want to come to church. He just wanted to go to Walmart, but he forgot they closed at 6 on Christmas Eve. So anyway, next day, Mark wanted, he wanted to ride again, so Mark brought him, and I asked him. I said, so, you know, I realize you're probably having a hard time. He wasn't having a hard time. What do, you, what do you normally do for a living? You're like, this. I make a good living begging. It was his whole deal. But he was honest about it. Most people have a story, and as pastors, you hear the same story, different flavors, and sometimes there are significant needs. Sometimes people have planned very foolishly to be in need, and they think it's your responsibility to take care of their foolish trip across the country. They're going to Washington pick apples and it's not apples picking season but they've got a job there you know and their car just broke down and you're supposed to feel bad and but there are times when God lays it in your heart what is that that's your relationship with the Lord you pray about it sometimes you pass them and you know they're just kind of playing a game but sometimes you pass those people and God says you go give what you have in your wallet to that person and you might argue with the Lord but Lord all I got in there is a 20 Maybe I should go get change first, right? That can't be the Lord. That must be the devil. No, you know that's not true. And so you go, you take your wallet, and you stop. And I always look for an opportunity to talk to them and find out where they're at spiritually, but ultimately, hey, Lord bless you. God just told me to do this. Oh, thank you very much. No, no, just being obedient, period. That's what it's supposed to be. These people... The reason they blew the trumpet is because to let everybody know there's going to be a giveaway. You know, kind of like in the old days when uh, we first came here, we didn't make as much money, so we got on the government cheese too. Do you remember government cheese? I don't know if they do that anymore, but they used to have a giveaway, and the word would get around town, and all the pastors' houses found out about it, you know, because our pastor, with, with all the kids we had, uh, government cheese. It was good cheese too, and they said, well, if we don't give it away, we're going to throw it away because it had to do with our agricultural program and keeping the prices up, parity and all that. And so they had 
you know, instant potatoes, and I don't know what else they had, different stuff every time. But mainly, I remember the government cheese, and we had a lot of grilled cheese in our house. And so there was the government cheese. And so the word got around. Sometimes it was in the paper. Word got around. And so Christy would go over there with some of the girls from church and get in line and get our cheese. Well, it's interesting that these Pharisees didn't know the people, and I think that was probably a deal. They don't want to associate with those people that weren't as blessed by God as they were. So they had a system where there's a synagogue or they're going to be a giveaway in the street corner. They blow the horn. And it wasn't about giving to the people. It was about the notoriety they were going to get by giving their gift. And people would love them. Do you know each other well enough to know when there's a need? And John says in 1 John 3, 16, Beloved, let us not love in word, but in deed and in truth. And so if you know your brother or sister has a need, he has need clothes or shelter or food, you don't say, hey, brother, I'll be praying for you when you have the ability to meet that need. John says, how does the love of God dwell in you? If you see a need and you can meet the need and you don't, you don't do that. See, we have a relationship with God and he can lead us to give. And when he leads you, just do it. You don't have to sound the horn. You have to get up in the next testimony service and tell us how wonderful you were. Just give. New word in my vocabulary. My son Sam, it's an actual word, but uh, I first heard it from Sam, and it's virtue signaling. And it didn't die with the Pharisees. It's alive and well on Facebook today and Twitter and all the other stuff I don't use. I am on Facebook limitedly. In fact, Facebook was how I got in touch with my army buddies when I got out of the army. There were no cell phones. There wasn't Facebook. And if you moved, you changed your phone number, so everybody lost touch. And eventually, somebody found out where somebody was, and it's kind of nice to be able to make that connection. But there's also people, they like to put things on. Here's the definition. The action or practice of publicly expressing opinions or sentiments intended to demonstrate one's good character or moral correctness of one's position. Um, it's noticeable, however, often virtue signaling consists of saying the things that you hate. Virtue and hate. Those things shouldn't be compatible. And so you get on the internet and say, I'm for this. I'm against that. Now, I think there's some good things that go on, just information. So you pass something on information. But, I mean, you know, a couple having their Bible studies on Facebook. You know, I, I see I don't get this culture now. If you love your wife, tell your wife you love her. Say to her on your anniversary, happy anniversary. You don't have to put that on Facebook. But see, it means more real. I love my wife. Okay, great. I mean, it's nice keeping up with people, but why does everybody have to know everything you're doing? Virtue signaling. It's the same thing the Pharisees did. Look how good I am. I told my wife publicly that on Facebook that I love her. Is that the only time you tell her? Is Facebook? I just don't understand why we have to take and make all these things public and then it makes it real. It's the same thing the Pharisees were doing. Virtue signaling. Look how good I am. Look at all the things I hate. Look at all the things I'm for. People come into Chrissy's uh, coffee shop. A fellow came in the other day and he sees that they're saving the, you know, recycle. I guess that's what it is. Recycle little things that go around your hot coffee cup. Oh, I'm so glad you're doing that. Okay. We're virtuous. We recycle. No, actually, it saves a lot of money. So, 
the virtue of saving money. But it's all out there, isn't it? People call good evil and evil good today, but they have their own set of upside-down morals, and they're all virtue signal. I'm on this side. Political correctness, I'm on this side. That's what the Pharisees were all about. He says, no, when you give, you know about a need. Now, he says, don't let your right hand know what your left hand is doing. Just do it. You don't have to signal everybody. You don't have to blow a horn. You don't have to get on Facebook. Look who I gave. Look what I gave to so-and-so. Just meet the need. Just do it. It's kind of like Nike theology, right? God tells you, obey. Just do it. You have to talk about it. That kind of obedience, God sees. Now, the word for God sees there is interesting. It's a Greek word, blepo. And it just means the one who causes to happen. In other words, the guy who's in charge, he knows about it. He can make things happen. The God who sees. He sees you doing those things because God motivated you in your heart and you just obey. He'll reward you. The Bible promises that those that give to the poor lend to the Lord. And God always takes care of his responsibilities. He's death, doesn't he? He's so good. He provides so richly for us. Don't tell everybody. Now, it doesn't mean that if somebody finds out, because obviously sometimes the person is going to be so thankful, say, I just want to tell you what a blessing it was. I was praying, and -and so-and-so showed up, and it was just God. How did they know I had this need? They didn't know. How many times has Doug Wookie talked about in, in days past that they were just praying for groceries, and groceries would show up on their step. They didn't tell anybody. They told God. It doesn't mean that if somebody finds out that you gave, that all of a sudden, oh, no reward. So you get all weird about, oh, please don't tell anybody. The point is the motivation. You're giving to meet the need because God told you to not for notoriety from other people. You're not giving for other people. You're giving because God just told you to give. Then he goes on to say, he says, so when you pray, don't pray like the hypocrites. Verse 5, they love to stand and pray in the synagogues on the street corners so they may be seen by men. When I first came to um, Berean Baptist Church, now Laramie Valley Chapel, we had a men's prayer meeting. And I swear, every you could record most of the prayers on that Saturday and then play in the next. Those guys didn't have to be there. It was just rote. The Jews have that too. They call it the Shema. In Deuteronomy 6, 4 through 9, it says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is the, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your might. These which I'm commanding you today shall be in your heart. You should teach them diligently to your sons and talk of them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down, when you rise up. You will bind them as a sign on your hand. They shall be as frontals on your forehead. You shall write them on the doorposts of your heart, house and on your gates. That's a very good thing. Unless it's spoken without relationship. Then it's just a little poem. Just going through the motions to be heard by men. It doesn't mean that every person that is preaching is just doing that so every people hear. But when you learn words to say because you think they sound religious when you're praying, you're guilty. Or some guys pray and they say, and just, and just, and just. They've gotten, they're not talking anymore. I remember one young disciple I was with, and I noticed that he would talk like this, and then we'd go to pray, oh. We went to like this. I'm like, stopped him. I know I'm brutal sometimes with my youngest disciples. I said, what are you doing? Oh, I was praying. Yeah, but why do you change your voice like that? 
I said, you don't talk like that normally. Oh, you don't, you don't have to. Somehow he'd learned in his past that when you prayed, you went into a different thing. No, no, he's your father. Talk to him. Just talk to him. You have a relationship with him. Some of the sweetest prayers of our brand new believers who will tell you before they begin praying in a small group, uh, I don't know what to say. Just talk to the Lord. And so sweetly, so innocently, from their new relationship, they just say, oh God, I'm so thankful you saved me. It's just talking to the Lord that you know. Talk to the Lord like you know him. Not like a hypocrite who's just doing it to be heard so you learn some religious words and you throw them out there so it sounds like an official prayer. Talk to God. Then he goes on to say, verse 7, when you're praying, don't use meaningless repetition like the Gentiles do. The word for Gentile, ethnos, is just Gentile, pagan, heathen. Don't pray like a pagan. You're going to work it up and you just keep saying the things. What's sad is coming to the church, hasn't it? They take the Lord's Prayer and do it just every Sunday. It doesn't mean anything. You've got to memorize Just go through it like the Shem is for the Jews. Or they've added things like rosary. They're praying to the wrong person. Mary, hear my prayer. And they go through that thing over and over. It's punishment. You've got to go through the rosary a hundred times. You can make up for your sin. That's not prayer. Prayer ought to be this joy. I've heard people talking about laboring in prayer. And I wrestle with that a long time. If you had an opportunity to have an audience with the president, he wanted to hear what your heart was on some really important issues. You'd think about what you wanted to talk. You wanted to use the time well, but it wouldn't be like, hey, it was so hard talking to the president. I really labored in prayer. I really labored. No, it's a joy. And we get the opportunity of coming into the presence of the creator of the universe, the one who died for us and washed us from our sin in his own blood. We get to talk to him. So don't be like the pagans. Look at verse 8. He already knows what you need. Isn't that precious? He already knows what you need. So pray like he hears you. Pray like he cares. He's your father. And then it says, pray like this. Pray like you know him. Pray like he's an intelligent being. Don't use this as something you say over and over again. But look at the form he gives us for praying. Our Father, which art in heaven. You're recognizing his sovereignty, his kingship. The fact that he sees it all from his perspective. Holy is your name. In the Old Testament, the psalmist writes and he says, Worship the Lord in a holy array. Make his praise glorious. It's our opportunity as children of God to display his holiness, to make his name, holy name known. And it says, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. What is that to pray about? God, I want to be right where you're working today. Thank you for this day to serve you. I am listening. Where do you want me to go? 
What do you want me to say? I am your servant. He says, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth that is it in heaven. God, I want to be that sensitive to your call. Then he says, give us this day our daily bread. It's right for us to come to God for our needs because he's our provider. We get so independent. James writes and he says, you have not because you ask not. Why? Because you're sufficient. We just get sufficient. We get stressed. We get under the load and we forget. God knows where you're at. He knows the needs before you cry out to him. So why don't we go there? You've probably seen it on bumper sticker. You've heard the saying, prayer changes things. Kind of like us praying changes. That, that's not right. God's the one that changes things. Prayer brings us into his presence so we can get out of the same page with our creator and know what he's doing. We don't have to be stressed. We're reminded. God sees how many times did David, under the load, in the really hard circumstances, crawl up on the mountain, get up to the high tower, see things from God's perspective and go, oh, that's right, you're God. You have this. You have this. The opposite is true in Psalm 115 of those that pray to an idol. Eyes they have, but they see not. Hands, but they can't feel. Legs, they can't walk. Mouths, they can't speak. Those that make them will become like them. What? Dead. What's the example of praying to a pagan? The Old Testament. 1 Kings chapter 18. The contest between God and Baal. When God told Elijah, I want you to go up to Mount Carmel and I want you to call all the prophets of Baal because God was going to put an end to it. And I want you to have a contest. So they each got a, an ox to sacrifice. And so the prophets of Baal sacrificed their ox and from the morning prayer all the way to the evening, they prayed and they cried in about afternoon, Elijah started mocking him a little bit. He says, you know, maybe your God had to go to the bathroom. He had to step aside. Or maybe he's on vacation. Maybe he's sleeping. Cry louder. Make him, wake him up. Why? Because they cried to nothing. And at the end, he said, all right, that's enough. About the time of evening prayers, he says to Israel, come near. I want to show you something. And he repaired the altar of God, took 12 stones, put them back together, caused a trench to be... Uh, kind of bowled out around the bottom of that altar, put the sacrifice on top, and then simply just prayed to God. O oh Lord, God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, today let it be known that you are God in Israel and that I am your servant and I've done all these things at your word. Answer me, O oh Lord, answer me, that this people may know that you, O oh Lord, are God and that you have turned their heart back again. And the Bible says in the next verse, fire came down from heaven licked up the sacrifice, the stones, and the water around the stones. What kind of sound was that? Do you know what the effect was of the people of Israel? Flat on their face. Okay, that was God. No, it didn't last long. And then Elijah killed all the prophets of Baal because that's what the law called for. But it make a difference. Jezebel was still wicked. She still wanted to kill him in, in spite of everything that, that had done. But some of the people were convinced because they saw God work. We have this relationship. 
pray like you believe that God can answer prayer. The great encouragement for us in 1 John 5, 13 through 15, these things have I written unto you that believe in the name of the Son of God so that you may know you have eternal life. This is the confidence which we have before him that if we ask anything according to his will, get this, he hears us. Isn't that amazing? You as a believer, you're not taking moments of silence. You're not giving credit to the greater being. You as a believer, talk to your father. And you know that he hears you. Sometimes he says no. And for a believer that's maturing, that is just as comforting as yes. Because God answered. He gives direction. Give us this day our daily bread. And forgive us our debts as we also forgive our debtors. And lead us not in temptation. Now that that word is kind of, it's like lead us. Actually, the phrase means don't leave us in temptation. Deliver us from evil. Because the Bible tells us that God does not tempt any man with evil. That comes from within. But how does he leave us not in temptation? That's when we begin to get victory over sin. In Philippians chapter 3, Paul is sharing his testimony. And he says, oh, to know God. And the fellowship of his sufferings to be made conformable even unto his death. What was Paul talking about? He's talking about the resurrection life, having victory over sin. You know the greatest thing about heaven? Number one, Jesus is there. Second, you'll be there made perfect. You won't be a problem anymore because our biggest problem is not other people's sin. It's our own sin. And when we begin to hate our own sin, God delivers us. That's no longer temptation when you hate your own sin, is it? Not a problem. And then it recognizes... For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. And then he has, but just remember this, puts it in there because it's so huge. In every part of this, this passage, he's bringing this back. If you forgive other people, your heavenly father will forgive you. But if you don't forget other people, God won't forgive you. Wow. You're holding bitterness in your heart. And you can say and learn a lot of pretty words. But God knows your heavenly father sees your wickedness in secret. He's not going to forgive you. What is he saying? Christians lose their salvation? No. What he's saying is, it's the DNA, it's the spiritual DNA of believers to forgive. And believers listen to warnings. Jesus has warned us, don't pray like the hypocrites. Don't pray like the pagans. Pray like you know him. Pray like you believe him. Pray like he's listening to you. And live like you related to him. You forgive people. And that's not a feeling. People are waiting to feel better about, no, just do it. Forgive them. Walk in grace. Father, we thank you for your word. How instructive it is. Lord, as your children, Lord, I pray that we take heed. Point out those areas that we are not forgiving people. That we hold grudges. We keep lists. Lord, grant us repentance from that. Oh, Lord, that you would make us a people of prayer. that we would learn to be anxious for nothing but to pray about everything. Thank you for the opportunity to pray, to walk with you, to be led by you, to be provided by you. And Lord, I pray if there are any here, they don't have that shepherd in their life. They don't have you. Lord, today that you draw them to yourself. In Jesus' name.
Amen. Let's stand and sing together.